let's descend the podcast into a bit of chaos. More chaos. More chaos. That electric moment when a ball hits the back of the net. Unbelievable game. Two great teams going at it. Compared to the other three beside him, he just looks like the new cafe or something. We are making a documentary about how shit our club is. <laughs> VR is bullshit. Who is the biggest cheater in football tonight? Harry Kane, without a fucking doubt. Without a fucking doubt. Hello and welcome back to the Football Babble podcast. Brandon here. We have a very special, interesting podcast coming up with Liam Toomey from The Athletic. Thanks, Liam, for joining. Uh, great podcast. We get into the Lukaku signing, um, who it will benefit at Chelsea, who it may not benefit, uh, the inner workings of Marina Granovskaya and the loan system at Chelsea, Tuchel's reign and the extension of his contract, what that means for the team. Um, loads of stuff, including stuff on John Terry as well, and what Liam thinks about this current Chelsea squad, how far they can go, and compared to previous Chelsea squads. So loads in here. Um, just a quick shout to everyone following on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and special thanks to people on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash football babble. We really appreciate it, guys. So without further ado, we'll get to the podcast. Here's myself and Liam Toomey. Liam, thank you very much for joining us on the Football Bubble once again. Um, I guess we're checking time on now, so we'll have to make it a hat-trick sometime soon. Um, we were just speaking off, off earlier um, about how you might be one of the most um, relieved men that your, that your mansions don't include the word Lukaku or update anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's just the reality of, of our job. And I'm not even like, you know, I don't consider myself primarily, you know, a transfer newsbreaker. We've got, we've got David Ornstein for that. And, um, and uh, like, he's one of the best, uh, best anywhere in the world at it. And Simon Johnson obviously get, gets a lot of transfer news for us as well. It's, it's obviously part of my job and I try and get transfer updates, but I consider my job on a club beat to be a lot more than just transfers. So it can get quite tedious, but I also understand the level of interest in it and it helps keep us all employed. So um, can't complain too much. Yeah. It's, it's become such a business isn't it? and I suppose Twitter is just the epicenter of it. Um, do, do you like, do you like transfers in general and following them or would you prefer to, to cover other stories? Um, I find transfer reporting quite tedious. Uh, and again, I say that as someone who understands the interest in transfers. Personally, I'm a lot more interested in what actually happens on the pitch. Like yeah. I'm, I'm far more excited as someone who likes football to see what Lukaku will look like on the pitch rather than, you know, like blurry video of him landing at Biggin Hill Airport. <laughs> <laughs> that that doesn't really get my juices flowing. Um, yeah, but I understand it. It does. I understand it does for a lot of people. Um, oh yeah. But again, you know, transfer reporting is part a big part of the game. You you, you know you you serve the interest of the fans. So that's that's what a lot of fans like. Yeah, and um, I suppose we, we couldn't really have, have got you at a better time. Um, we're recording this on Thursday evening. Um, Chelsea have just made the Lukaku announcement. Um, he will become their highest earner. 
Um, and, you know, when, when you break it down and when you look at it, Chelsea are signing one of the best strikers in the world. And it, do you think there's there's been a bit of an underwhelming reaction from from some of the fans? Yeah, I think so. And to an extent, I understand that because, you know, you, you go into the summer with with credible, you know, reporting of, of credible interest in Erling Haaland. You know, Chelsea had been looking into the feasibility of signing Haaland in this window for at least six months. Um, and Haaland is the hot new thing. You know, I compare him to Hansel in Zoolander. You know, he's just he's so hot. He's so hot right now. Um, everybody in Europe wants him. Um, and and rightfully so, you know he's a he's a goal scoring phenomenon, and and most most football fans are uniquely excited by the next big thing. Um, and Lukaku, we've been watching him for ten years, <laughs> you know, in, yeah. in Europe's major leagues, and not only that, he's been at Chelsea before, so I can I can completely understand why for some fans um, this wouldn't be anywhere near as high on the excitement scale as someone like Haaland. Um, and also because I think, you know, there's a feeling that that Lukaku is very much a known quantity, that he kind of is what he is at this mm. stage of his career. Um, now, I, I wrote a piece with a couple of, you know, with our brilliant analytics writers, Tom Werville and Mark Carey, um, looking more closely at the ways Lukaku's actually evolved, even in the last two years at Inter. Uh, so I don't think Chelsea are getting exactly the same player back, even that he was two years ago, let alone um, the player that left Chelsea for Everton seven years ago. Um, yeah. But he's, but uh, yeah, I can understand why they're, why they're sort of mixed feelings, but every, all the available evidence we have, and we have a lot of evidence for Lukaku because he's played for a long time, is that he's an elite answer to, to Chelsea's most pressing need. And, I um, would suggest people go and read that piece because it's fantastic. But without giving too much away, um, can you give us a bit of an insight into you know how he's changed his game, even you know since we saw him uh, at Old Trafford? Yeah, so I think you know part of it is that Lukaku's always had a few more strings to his bow than I think his critics have given him credit for. Um, he's been classed in a lot of places as this kind of battering ram purely because I think people make very surface level judgments on him as, and always have, because he's always been credible physical specimen um, and incredibly athletic in terms of his speed across the ground. Sometimes I feel like that's all people can see when they look at him. Um, But he's always been a very intelligent, he's a very intelligent guy. First, first and foremost speaks uh, closer to, it's like five, six, seven languages. I've actually lost count of how many languages Lukaku speaks. Um, but he's a very intelligent footballer as well. He, you know, he's he's very, very and a selfless one. He's very good at, at, at making runs for the team as well as for himself. He's always moving, always asking questions of a, of a defense. He he obviously knows how to use his strength, and I think over the years he's he's gotten better at making the most of the advantages that his body gives him. Um, but he's also improved in the technical aspects of his game. I think his, you know, I think his first touch has improved. His link play has improved. His awareness of where teammates are and where they're going has improved. Um, his even his hold up play, which I think was never, 
was never the kind of strength in his game um, that people who were, you know, keen to cast him as the heir to Didier Drogba thought it would mm. be. Just because he's big and strong doesn't mean he's good at playing with his back to goal. That's a very particular skill set. And actually one that Didier Drogba had to learn when he came to Chelsea. He wasn't used to doing that either. Um, so I think Lukaku's gotten better at that over the years. It's still probably not what he does best, but he was playing for a coach under Antonio Conte at Inter who put him in the best positions to succeed. He did a lot of ball carrying in Lautaro Martinez. They were, they were deadly on the counter-attack um, as well as scoring a lot of tap-ins, putting himself in the right position for crosses in the box. All of these are things that, that Chelsea have been absolutely crying out for. And I think mm. he's, he's coming to work for another coach in Thomas Tuchel who knows what his strengths are, knows his game really well, has been watching him for years and will know how to put him in the best positions to succeed. And usually when when a player like this comes in, obviously we all assume Lukaku is going to be a, a starter week in, week out. And it, it might put you know people's noses out of joint because um, he's going to be replacing someone. But in this case just with all the things you've mentioned with, with Chelsea's XG, yeah, I know some people like it, some don't, but you, you could see how clear it was that they needed somebody to finish off those chances. And actually, you know, it might benefit those other players who have been getting into those positions and it's not necessarily their overwhelming strength, but it is for Lukaku. Yeah, there's there's definitely an argument that like a rising tide lifts all boats and Lukaku could be that rising tide for Chelsea. You know, they've they they've been crying out for someone just to apply a clinical finishing touch to someone who is focused on being on the end of moves and and when they are on the end of moves keeping a cool head, picking their spot. He he's been so good at that for so long. He's um you know, he's been one of the most reliable goal scorers in Europe for a long, long time now. And he's actually just had two of the best scoring seasons of his career at Inter. Now, I know, you know, if you were sceptical of the standard in Serie A, you'd probably point to that and say, well, that's why he scored that as many goals he has. He was also taking penalties. I think he scored six um, in each league season for for Inter. Um, but he's just a very complete complete goal scorer he scores with his left with his right with his head um from from short range he's capable of carrying the ball over long distances and then finishing as well so um I think he's going to give Chelsea an awful lot of options and I think when you look at the types of creators that that Chelsea already have he's going to get great service but he's also going to create more space for them because he's going to occupy so many defenders I think he'll he'll really help Timo Werner as well who who I think last year was was probably miscast as the primary scoring option yes. on a top team. I think I think we saw that he's not quite clinical enough, not quite consistent enough um, to shoulder that level of burden. But I think he could be a very high-level secondary scorer. Um, yeah. I'm expecting him to finish a little bit better this year, but the fact that Lukaku's there and defences can't just hone in on, on Werner will only help him. I was going to say actually that's you know who I had in mind is is Werner for it benefiting most, um, but you know because of and he got did he get Chelsea's most assists last season or he got high anyway? Yeah, but, he did. Yeah, he did lead Chelsea in assists across all competitions. Yeah, yeah. Um, so credit where credit's due, but I think he, he um, 
he got a, a harsh dealer at the end of the season from some people. Um, but do you think there is a potential that Tuchel could uh, change system um, to, to kind of get Lukaku and Werner as a two? Or will he stick with the three and, and put Werner out on the left? I think we'll see both at different times of the season. Um, I think, you know, we saw that even last year, Tuchel would occasionally play split strikers with a number 10 behind them, a kind of 3-4-1-2. And then that would would become a 3-4-2-1 with a left 10 and a right 10, as Tuchel calls it, behind a more central striker. And sometimes that would even change within game. You know, when Mm. you have guys as versatile as Havertz who can play across the front, Werner can play across the front, um, you can you can do that, and I actually think while we will see Lukaku as the number one, number nine primarily, um, we have seen in his career in the past Roberto Martinez play him off the right for stretches um, for Everton and for Belgium, sometimes in very big games, and he's been very effective there. Uh, so I I can see that whatever configuration Tuchel goes with with that front three for any given game, there will be a lot of fluidity and, and that will only make it harder for opposition defences. Yeah. It, it, when you when you look at the options he has, I mean, it, it is quite scary. Um, now, especially for the, the other top four competitors and obviously we're talking about City primarily, Liverpool with the players they've got back and I don't know if they will make more signings and United have obviously strengthened as well. Um do you think if uh, the caveat that if um, Man City don't get Harry Kane, are Chelsea favourites? Um, I'm not sure they're favourites, just because I think with or without Harry Kane, Manchester City have the deepest squad, and they have under Guardiola such an established machine for accumulating incredibly high numbers of Premier League points. They've been doing this for three or four years now. They, We know that they will set the bar very high to win the league. It's no longer 85, 90 points. It will be 95 to 100 points for whoever wants to win the title. Um, and in that sense, I think City remain the gatekeepers. I think, you know, if you beat them, if you finish above them in the table you can probably feel pretty good about your chances of, of winning the league. Um, you've probably won the league. But having said that, I think actually I'm really looking forward to this season because I think there are four teams now that should go into the, the season with legitimate expectations to challenge for the title. Hmm. Not necessarily to win it because you can never expect to win a league as competitive as the Premier League. But you look at what Manchester United have done with Jaden Sancho and Rafael Varane, two really first-class um, solutions to two of their, the biggest holes in their starting eleven. Liverpool have a bit of continuity. I think they'll have some renewed hunger um, after the way last season panned out. There, there are certain players, for example, Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's gotten a bit of rest this summer, uh, who I think will be chomping at the bit to, you know, to, to prove that he's still one of the best in the world. And I think Liverpool as a team will be will be really chomping at the bit to prove that they're still one of the best teams in Europe. And of course, they got Van Dijk back. Um, and then, yeah, of course, you look at what Chelsea have done. They've they've addressed their, their most pressing need. And City have got Jack Grealish 
and may well get the England captain and one of the best strikers in the world as well. Um, so I, I think City will be favourites. They should go into the season favourites regardless of whether they get Kane. But the gap should not be very big this year between them and the other contenders. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting they're hearing, you know, about teams filling their most pressing need. Um, obviously, Chelsea have done that with with a goal scorer, and um, they had have done that, you know, in, in previous couple of seasons as well. Um, we were speaking on the podcast last week, um, talking about weaknesses, and it, it was interesting. We all had different opinions on on what Chelsea's weakness, biggest weakness, is now. Do you have one in mind? Um. I don't think there's an obvious weakness in this team, particularly the way Tuchel has set it up. They've got a very dominant, possession-dominant midfield with with the best midfielder in the world at creating opposition turnovers in, in any area of the pitch in N'Golo Kante. They've got a defence that doesn't give up um, high-quality chances, or at least they didn't for a large swathe of last season from the moment Tuchel came in. They've got a solid goalkeeper now in Edouard Mendy. Maybe you could say, you know, they don't have a world-class goalkeeper, but last season mm. proved they didn't need one as long as you protect them well enough. Um, that's it. And you've got excellent wing backs, and you've got so many options for those front three spots to play different ways against different types of opponents, um, to control games and pin teams back, but also to, to pick teams off on the counter-attack. I think Chelsea have got a lot of different ways to play within their within their system. Um, so I, I don't really see a glaring weakness. Maybe you could say in the squad they could do with an they could do with a younger centre back under contract for a bit more. And of course they're 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 trying to get Jules Kounde mm-hmm. from Sevilla to address that particular need. Um, and maybe a, another right sided player. It depends it depends how much Tuchel wants to play Callum Hudson Adoy as a wing back alternative to to Reese James and and we saw Chelsea go after Ashraf Hakimi at the start of the summer, although obviously he he ended up at PSG. Mm. Uh, yeah, uh, the the very first thing or one of the first things you mentioned there about the the keepers, I think um, Philip will be happy because um, he suggested that that Chelsea maybe don't have a world class goalkeeper. Um, but I, I was actually at the Super Cup last night and. Um, we saw that strange at the time seemed strange substitution with with Kaba coming on for Mendy and um, obviously it worked out in the end. But to have a what was he seventy two million pound goalkeeper as your number two and and sitting on the bench is it nearly you know your biggest weakness to have a player not playing if you get me that way? Well, it's. Uh... It, it, I think it's the biggest embarrassment for Chelsea at club level. Yeah. The fact that you've got the most expensive goalkeeper of all time um, and he, he's not he's not your number one anymore. I know he was the hero of the Super Cup shootout. Um, yeah. But if that's, if that's all that Kepper is going to be for Chelsea, a kind of, you know, spot player um, for certain situations mm-hmm. and maybe a penalty specialist, that's... That continue, you know, that transfer was and continues to be an unmitigated disaster <laughs> for Chelsea as a club. Uh, I don't see it being a problem 
you know, dressing room wise, because Kepa is a is a professional guy. He's not caused any problems since losing his place. You could see after the Super Cup, there's a there's a really nice rapport between him and Edouard Mendy. There's no jealousy or resentment there. Um, the goalkeepers gen- genuinely like each other and and kind of stick together. So I don't see any problems for Tuchel on that front, but there is certainly an ongoing huge problem for Chelsea as a club um, about Kepa because there, there's just no market for a guy that you've paid that much for that has so long left to run on his contract um, and is on such high wages. And that's not even factoring in what the pandemic has done to the, the transfer market. Yeah, and, and that's something I think I brought up was that it's not just Kappa that, yes, obviously he's on, you know, he was a big transfer fee compared to some of the other players that Chelsea have on the books, but it, is that going to be a disruption for, for Tuchel during the season to have the likes of, uh, I know we've rhymed off these names, but, you know, the likes of Danny Drinkwater and, and David Zabacosta, because these guys are struggling to even get loans, if that's right. Again, I think it's a big problem for Chelsea um, as a club because in, in previous years, they've at least managed to to offload these guys for a year and, and, and make someone else pay, you know, even a portion of their wages, which has been good for the, good for the accounts. That's only going to get harder in this window because Chelsea, uh, Chelsea are not the only club in this situation. A lot of the super clubs around Europe are finding this, that they have become so totally separated from the rest of the football transfer market that no one underneath the super club bracket is either able or or willing to even pay the wages of the super club Deadwood Um, and Chelsea have a lot of it they've got a ridiculous number of first team or players on on professional contracts you know Tuchel was saying I think after the the Tottenham friendly in the mind series that there were 42 players at the start of that week in the first team building. And those, those guys, you know, the guys you mentioned, Drinkwater, Zappacosta, the other returning loanees with the exceptions of Trevor Chalaber, who obviously played in the Supercut and Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who's still waiting to find out what, what's going to happen with him. Um, the rest of them have been put in, back into the separate loan group. So they're not training with the first team anymore. Okay. Um, in that in that sense, that that won't be a problem for Tuchel because he doesn't have to deal with it now. It's it's a club problem. It's a problem for Marina Granovskaya. Uh, and now that they've addressed, you know, the biggest thing coming in Lukaku, and you know, perhaps they'll get Kunde too. The other massive massive priority between now and the end of August has to be trying to find homes for some of these players, even if they're not, um, even if they're not permanent homes. And Chelsea might have to make significant concessions in order to, in order to, or more so than Marina Granovskaya has ever been prepared to do prior to now. Well, well, that's the the thing. I, one of the thing, points I've written down is um, the process with Marina Granovskaya. Can you give us a, a bit of an insight to to how she approaches um, transfers? Because we always hear how how hard she is to to negotiate with and how the deals she gets are sometimes unbelievable for players going out particularly. Um, do you have anything on that? 
Yeah, so we we did a big piece. Uh, it's quite a while ago now on the Athletic, a, a broader piece looking at Chelsea's recruitment, and there was a section of that piece on the role that Granovskaya plays um, when Chelsea are looking to sign a player. She basically takes over. Yeah. In the in the final stretch, um, after Chelsea have decided uh, which player they want to target, um, and you know the club's recruitment staff and the the head coach have had you know that, those conversations, and Petr Cech has has been involved in those conversations, and they've all come to an agreement over which player they want to target. She will then take over and initiate discussions with that club. Um, and with the agent and you know with all the relevant parties and she's she's as far as we could tell near universally respected um for her ability as a negotiator she's re- she's regarded as a very very hard negotiator um, but even the people who've been across the table from her um don't really have anything bad to say about her they even if they've come off worse in deals yeah. um with some house yeah, there's a lot of respect there for the way that she conducts herself. You know, she, I think she she works very hard. It's not uncommon to get emails and, and texts replied um, from her, you know, late at night, early in the morning about, you know, various potential deals. Um, when, a, when a transfer is being negotiated, she is very clear about where her line is, hmm. the point beyond which she will not go. And she does not veer from that. Um, And that has worked really, really well for Chelsea when it comes to some very high profile sales over the years. I think she, she worked absolute miracles with the sales of Alvaro Morata, Diego Costa in hindsight, Eden Hazard, you know, one year left on his contract, getting the money they did for him from Real Madrid. Um, So there, there are, there have been several notable successes in terms of her extracting maximum value for players that Chelsea don't want. But there have also been, you know, a lot of cases with players like Michi Batshuayi or, or other players that have become sort of serial loanees. Yeah. It is because um, Granovskaya just will not, under any circumstance, contemplate selling for less than her price. Um, and And that has caused you know, potential potential sales for some of these players to fall through over the years. And and it has caused clubs to walk away um kind of shaking their heads because they <laughs> there's no there's no wiggle room. Um but they do but she is really respected for the fact that when she says something, she means it. <laughs> when she yeah. when she says this is this is what we'll pay or this is what we want, um she's she's not playing games. And on the other side, Chelsea are obviously happy enough, even if, as you say, with like the Batshuayi case, um, sometimes it, it maybe doesn't get the player off the books. They're they're happy enough because the majority of the time she gets a good deal. Well, they you know in previous years they you know they still bank a loan fee. Um, in most cases, the club will cover at least a portion of that of that player's wages. Um, so. Chelsea do get something out of the deal, and of course, there's there's a possibility that that player could play well on 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 loan, generate some value for themselves, and and end up being sold for a reasonable price. I mean that that happened with Mario Pasalic at mm. Atalanta. 
Um, I think he he's, he goes down as a notable success. I know there are some Chelsea fans who think um, they could probably have got more for him after what he did for Atlanta, Atalanta in the latter stages of the Champions League yeah, uh, in that COVID bubble. But, um, you know, the fact is a player that they paid minimal money for. I think they got about £15 million pounds, um, plus the loan fees they banked over the years. You know, that that's Chelsea would consider that a success yeah. for for their loan system. And then moving it on a, a little bit to um, to Tuchel now. Obviously, this is his first um, full season. <laughs> we hope it's a full season um, at Chelsea. You, you never really know. But um, are, do Chelsea look at Tuchel? I know they maybe don't look at, at any manager long term, but. Obviously, he's come in and had so much success so early on. He's already got two trophies. Um, do they have a plan in place for for Tuchel and in, in terms of extending his contract and and obviously bringing in players that that he is identifying? Well, Tuchel's contract um, contained a clause that would automatically extend in the event that Chelsea won the Champions League. So That's that handy. made, yeah, that made the. Uh, kind of extension talks a little bit more straightforward and a bit quicker. Uh, I think you know, I, I think that I think that kicked in in terms of an extra two years on his contract. Um, and of course, I think Chelsea probably worked a nice pay bump into that as as kind of a you know a recognition of what he'd achieved in such mm-hmm. a short space of time. I think there's, you know, there's there's respect. There's a lot of respect for what Tuchel did with the the team last year, coming into a season that looked in danger of um, drifting, completely drifting out of um, out of any sort of contention, and taking them back into the top four, albeit with a bit of final day luck, taking them to an FA Cup final, yeah. albeit they didn't win it, and then of course delivering the delivering the, the club's first Champions League triumph for nine years. Um, is a, it's just a massive, massive deal, um, it, and it it does earn a, a big degree of goodwill. But I think what Tuchel has done um, quite cleverly is that I think he's avoided the mistake that Antonio Conte made the summer after he delivered the Premier League title in 2016-2017, in that he he didn't assume that that success would just give him a kind of you know, carte blanche at the club, yeah. uh, kind of in- incredible freedom and power to to get his way. Um, Tuchel has continued to be a good team player, a good company man, and he's not caused any problems. And that Chelsea value that incredibly highly, particularly after their experiences with Mourinho and Conte. Um, they don't. They want the head coach to be a coach. They want him. To, he can have a say in who the, who the club buys. He can he can submit his preferences and give his opinions, but they don't want him dictating every aspect of how the club is run. That's not where Chelsea believe they get their continuity from. They believe that that continuity comes from above the coach um, and around the coach in terms of all the support staff at Cobham that don't really change. Uh, and so Tuchel has done really well to fit into that Um, because it's Chelsea, you know, you you can't say he's going to be their Fergie (laughs) or or their Wenger. You know, it just doesn't work that way. He could end up staying at Chelsea for a long time. He's made a great start, Um, but, but in order to do that, he will have to keep winning 
on the pitch because the demands are relentless. He will have to deliver a Premier League title challenge this year. He will have to deliver serious contention for trophies because that is the minimum that Roman Abramovich expects every single season. And he'll have to do the off-field stuff in terms of you know working within the structure of the club and not causing problems. That, that last point actually is, is just one I was going to pick up on there. And it's, it's maybe something we've seen that Tuchel has not softened, but maybe learned from his time at, at PSG and, and dealing with the, the board there. Because um, you noticed when, when he came in uh, and he was asked these questions about uh, the managers in and out of Chelsea, and, and he spoke quite, quite openly about it and said, you know, this is Chelsea and, and I know what's expected. And um, basically, he more or less said, I, I could be gone next year, <laughs> which is quite a, a different way to approach it. It's a very healthy way to approach being employed by Chelsea, I think. Um, you know, don't look too far ahead and, and live in the, you know, plan for the moment, live in the moment as a, as a coach. He was there to he was there to make an immediate impact and he made sure that he did. Um you know, the whole record of, of causing problems at, at clubs and with employers, that's part of Tuchel's history. And that was something that made Chelsea wary of him even mm-hmm. a couple of years ago before they, before they appointed Antonio Conte. They looked at Thomas Tuchel um, and they decided, actually, we don't, we're not sure about this guy. Not, not about his coaching. They knew he was yeah. an elite coach. Um, but we're not sure if he's the right personality to come and work within the structure of the club. Then, of course, the supreme irony is you appoint Antonio Conte, <laughs> who, <laughs> while he's while he's an absolutely brilliant coach, is is high maintenance to say the least in terms of um, as a club owner or executive. Um, but I think Tuchel has has shown an admirable um, evolution over his over his various jobs you know he he was very by all accounts he was very abrasive and, and quite difficult uh at Borussia Dortmund at PSG I think he had to learn how to coach superstars who wouldn't necessarily commit themselves fully to his ideals of football um he 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 had to be the one to adjust he couldn't be an ideologue the way that Guardiola manages to be at every club he coaches because the, the power dynamic wasn't in his favor yeah. and he, yeah, he still fell out with, uh, I think, Leonardo at PSG towards the end, but quite a few people have fallen out with Leonardo at PSG. So that might be a Leonardo yeah. thing as well. 50 50 um, there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, th- I think Chelsea have been pleasantly surprised. has ap- approached the job um, in terms of his, his kind of mindset and his attitude. He's, he's been good to work with day to day, he's not caused any problems, and he's been exactly as advertised on the pitch, which is what Marina Granovskaya called him in the announcement um, statement on Chelsea's website, one of Europe's best coaches. He has absolutely proven himself with what he did in the Champions League um, to be at that very top table with with Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp. I, I would put Conte there as well. Yeah, um, definitely. And I think that's maybe just... Interesting when when you mention those three, it's one of the things that works against uh, Solskjaer when people are talking about the the top four race this year. The the squads are are all so good, um, but it's maybe the the coaches that the three others have that um, that will 
win out in the end, but but we will see. Um, let me not keep you too much longer. Um, there, there's a few questions uh, that that the lads have left me, but um, one of the things I, I wanted to ask you, and I know you um, you're not a predictions guy, um, but if you could see anyone leaving, and I'm thinking about Abraham in particular, um, do you see Chelsea getting any any names out the door, um, either permanently or or on loan before the before the transfer window ends? Well, I think you have to the names that you have to put at the top of the list are the ones that there is clearly interest in, um, and and Tammy Abraham has interest from Roma. He has interest from Arsenal elsewhere in the Premier League too. The question is whether that interest comes to Marina Granovsky's price. Um, But, you know, Chelsea, I think, should be quite motivated to sell Abraham as well because in, in past years, Chelsea have made a point of trying to, as much as they can, offset signings with sales and bring in money from from player sales and they have actually done a pretty good job of that this summer as well mm-hmm. it's it's often been selling players that the fans don't want to see leave because they're academy yeah. graduates like mark gurhey and tino livramento but they still bring in money and for tamori as well of course um so i think if they can bring in money for abraham who is clearly going to be even more surplus to thomas tuchel's plans now with romelu lukaku in the door and um, then it makes sense to do that because whatever his value is now you can't necessarily see it going up with another six months of sitting on the bench um and then you look at um you know a a couple of other players in the squad i think kurt zuma particularly if jules kunde comes in uh and chelsea aren't you know lucky enough to be able to fold him into that deal with sevilla he has interest in the premier league as well again it comes down to does it reach the price that Marina Granovskaya has in her head for what Kurt Zuma is worth? Um, but they're, they're, those are the guys probably likeliest to leave right now. I think a lot of the guys on the fringes, the, the returning loanees, I think homes will be found for them because it's it's too much in Chelsea's interests not to have them just hanging around Cobham for yeah. six months. It's not good for anyone. It's not good for them. It's not good for the club. They don't, appreciating value as assets it you know it makes no sense on any level so uh, I think Chelsea will have to bite the bullet with a couple of these guys and maybe do one or two deals that are not entirely on their terms and, and I suppose you, you maybe come into the scenario where teams don't start the season particularly well and maybe get a few injuries and then they are a bit more desperate at that stage um, with, with a few games gone um, which has been the case in the past um, but we will see. Um, I would like to see Loftus Cheek stick around, but can you see it? Yeah, we don't know. We we don't know what's happening with him yet. Um, I know for a fact that you know his his mindset is what it's been in the last few years, which is that he wants to stay and make it work at Chelsea. He's always wanted to play at Chelsea. It's boyhood dream, and he's not let go of it. He's been exceptionally unlucky with injuries the football world has thrown every conceivable obstacle in, in Ruben Loftus-Cheek's yeah. path yeah. Um, between him and fulfilling his immense talent. Uh, I don't know at this point whether, you know, too much, too much has happened for him to get to that level. I I really hope he still can get to that level. Um, and I think at the moment he's waiting 
to see um, what Tuchel wants to do with him and and what kind of what kind of assurances, if any, he can be given of any sort of minutes in this very big squad. But mm. he is, you know, he 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 is of the of the sort of loan bracket at Chelsea. He is one of the closest to the first team picture because, as I said, he he and Trevor Chalobah were the only two players from that group who've been kept training with the first team squad and were taken to Belfast for the Super Cup. Um, so he's not a million miles away and it wouldn't surprise me if he's kept around, but I, I could also see, you know, if, if Tuchel says, I, you know, I, I really can't guarantee you any sort of meaningful minutes and there, there is loan interest either from the Premier League or in Europe, they could go that way as well. Hmm. Well, that's still to happen. And based on, on Trevor Chalabas performance last night, um, I'm assuming we could see him sticking around as well. Um, well, that's a that's that's a fluid one um, because I, you know I was told earlier this week from a from a reliable source pre Super Cup that Chalobah was preparing to go out on loan again, um, and that he was sim- he you know the the key thing was going to be weighing up a variety of different options on the table, and part of that was some of the clubs that were giving, you know, some of the better clubs that were in for him want to play him as a number six in midfield. And actually he sees himself primarily as a defender, mm. a ball, a ball playing defender. And so does Tuchel. Um, so he, he would quite like to go, well, he, he would quite like to wear whatever he does, whatever club he's playing for, whether that be Chelsea or someone else play in defense. And he showed in the super cup, yeah. that he can be very, very effective in, in particularly in, in that back three. Um, Tuchel really likes him uh, so we'll see what happens with that one I mean the nature of his performance in Belfast might might change things but something will happen in the next week with him because he's got he's got two years left on his current deal I don't think he's going to be sold uh, if he goes on loan I think Chelsea will probably look to top up his contract by a year or so I don't think it'll be like a long-term five-year deal sort of thing hmm. Um but if he stays, I think it will be because Tuchel has told him, you're going to get real minutes for me. Interesting. I actually thought he was um, Chelsea's best player um, in the Super Cup. So, I, so I, did I. Yeah. So did I. I thought he was very impressive. Um, Liam, just a few quick ones before I let you go. Um, Phil has um, asked, where do you rate this Chelsea squad uh, on what you've seen so far compared to other Premier League squads and also um, I think we've really touched on this but uh, compared to other uh, current Premier League squads I'm talking about City and Liverpool etc but uh, we'll go for the um, compared to other Chelsea squads in the Premier League Oh um, in terms of in terms of the starting 11 I think it's as complete as what we saw in in 2014-15 um when you know when Chelsea brought in Fabregas Diego Costa and uh, brought back Courtois from loan you know you, you bring in three world class players in problem positions there were quite there were, I think I think there were parallels between that summer and this one you know not least bringing in the guy to solve the goal scoring problem definitively yeah. um <laughs> In terms of depth, you know, Chelsea have a really deep squad, probably as deep as 
as the 056 squad, I'd say. Um, mm-hmm. That was probably the last time Chelsea had genuinely two really top class options in every position because the, the Mourinho and the Conte title winning seasons, they both relied on a really small pool of core contributors. It was like 13, yeah. 14 players won those league titles and they kind of crawled over the line physically towards the end <laughs> because of it. Um, whereas in, in 0405 and 0506, they were just imperious in, 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 and relentless in their pace because they just had 20 players that they could call upon. Yeah. Almost, almost interchangeable when you got beyond, you know, like Terry Lampard, check, yeah, the, the spine of the team. Um, so yeah, it's a difficult one, but it's certainly right up there, and that's why I think Chelsea have to go into the season with real um, title aspirations and tight t- expectations of a title challenge. Yeah, I think the, the they are very close for me. The the first. Uh... First Mourinho one probably just pips it for me. Uh, um, just with the the squad depth that they had and the, the fact that they just ran away with it. Um, but just, you mentioned John Terry there, and um, Paddy has just asked a question there about his managerial career. Um, it was quite a surprise to me that he left Villa um, because him and Dean Smith seemed to get along quite well and, and they obviously had a successful year last year. Um, do you know anything about his plans or, or what he's hoping to do? And and do you think he will eventually end up at Chelsea in some capacity? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I have I have to say, I haven't looked into this since he left Villa. I've not looked into this because I've been busy working on other things. It hasn't been a super priority. I know when, you know, when there was talk of him being in the frame for Swansea, um, a couple of my colleagues made inquiries and it was kind of very quickly emerged that he was not seriously in the picture for that job. I think more, mm. more of his choice um, than anything else. It, I think he, he wants to take a little bit of time out um, and really assess his options. Uh, and I think when he does come back um, in, just in terms of his expectations, the impression that I've got is that it will be, you know, a, a, an upwardly mobile aspirational club. You know, it doesn't, I don't know if he'll limit himself to a division, but it, you know, it could be a kind of Lampard type trajectory where, you know, you're, you, you get a job like Derby or not, not like Derby are, but like they were when Lampard got the job. <laughs> um, you know, a, a, yeah, a club, a club that is l- looking um, up with realistic ambition to maybe get to the Premier League, or you know, may, maybe a Premier League job comes open. I think it would be difficult for him, having never managed, to just walk into a Premier League job. I think that that would be, yeah, that, that that's maybe a, a tad ambitious, um, especially because you know you've got other guys not least Lampard himself uh, mm-hmm. who might be in the market for jobs like that. Um, so I, I, I think he's going to take time. I think he's going to assess his options. Terry has always been very calculated in his, in his big career decisions. Uh, and I don't expect that to change now, but um, from what I, from what I, I know, he really enjoyed his time um, working with Dean Smith at, at Aston Villa. So I think it was probably just a case of thinking, it's run its course and, and he he wants to, to go out and, and kind of mark himself out as a prospective manager rather than a number two now. 
Great one to also keep an eye on. Um, I think a lot of Chelsea fans would like to see him eventually come back in some capacity, but maybe further on down the line that we get that. But yeah, ne- never say never with, with Chelsea. I don't know. I, I've given up predicting what, what will happen with Chelsea in the future because they have a habit of making you look a fool when you do that. Um, no, surely yeah, not Chelsea. It, it's possible, but I don't I don't suspect it's any time in the near future. I think he's got a long way to go before he gets himself into those conversations. Um, Liam, thank you very much. Um, it's been very interesting as usual. And... Um, we will have to get you back on for the hat trick at some stage, maybe after Chelsea hashtag announce Kunde. So um thank you again for coming on. It's been great. Yeah, pleasure to be back. Maybe when Chelsea break their transfer record again, we'll <laughs> I'll come back. No problem. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>